Here we go on this Wednesday's Long Gospel, June the 29th, in the year of our Lord, 2022. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and on this Wednesday, we're going to be continuing with our study of Solomon's reign in the book of Proverbs. And we're at Proverbs chapter 9, verse 1. The first seven chapters of Proverbs basically deals with Solomon talking to his son about wisdom. And then in chapter 8, we hear wisdom herself, which is Jesus Christ, talking about God's plans and his ways of obeying him when you have faith in Jesus Christ. We're now in Proverbs chapter nine, which is the third poem about wisdom. And wisdom is a feminine noun in the Hebrew. And that's why you're going to hear feminine adjectives, not because Jesus is feminine, but The word wisdom is in the feminine, and it refers to Jesus Christ. Let's take a look at verse 1 of Proverbs chapter 9. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. So it's talking about Jesus Christ who has built her house. The word built there is used elsewhere to deal with the building of an altar. And so what does it mean that wisdom has built her house? The house of wisdom, of course, was the tabernacle that Moses was instructed to build in order to worship God, and then Solomon, of course, and the holy temple. And then what is the house of God today? It would be the holy Christian church. And Jesus is at the center of that house, that temple, that church. That's very important to understand that you have not built the house. Yes, there was a house built by the tabernacle people, by the temple people, but the house that is now built is built totally by Jesus Christ and is his holy place. In fact, the second line is, she has hewn her seven pillars. Now, the word hewn means from a mine. Uh, she has quarried her seven pillars. Now, it's interesting to note that the seven pillars, this is the only time it's mentioned in the book of Proverbs. And a lot of people still try and guess what those seven pillars are. There's no doubt 
that the term pillar was used to deal with God. Remember when the Israelites fled from Egypt and were ready to cross the Red Sea? Who was coming after them? The Egyptians. So the Bible says God set up a pillar of cloud during the day to separate the Egyptians from the Israelites and a pillar of fire. We also find that pillar of cloud used in the installation of the tabernacle and also of Solomon's temple. And of course, we find it in the life of Jesus. Remember on the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus is there, three of his disciples are there, and also Moses and Elijah, but so also is God the Father. And he comes in a pillar, a cloud, and overshadows them all. And what does he say? This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Because Jesus is wisdom. If you want to know how God thinks and how God expects us to behave, that is wisdom. The, the problem is that behavior cannot take place by an unbeliever because God doesn't look at the outward action. You may have an individual who visits people in prison, who gives food to the hungry, clothes to those who need it, but those are not what God expects from his people because God is looking for the proper motivation, not just the action. So unbelievers, when they do these outward good works, do so for their own satisfaction. It makes them look good in the eyes of others, etc. But when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, then your motivation is love of Jesus. So we begin this poem about wisdom who has built the house, which is the tabernacle, the temple, the church, and has hewn her seven pillars. Now, scholars disagree as to what the seven pillars refer to. But when you take a look in the Bible, there are a number of sevens. There's seven firmaments, seven heavens, seven climates, seven days of creation, seven books of the law, seven gifts of the Spirit, in Revelation, you have the seven churches. And of course, you've had the seven chapters in the book of Proverbs leading up to chapters eight and nine about wisdom. I, I kind of lean towards something like the gifts of the Spirit or the days of creation. That's the pillars. There are pillars definitely 
that were part of the tabernacle and temple. But they weren't numbered like seven. But they were of Jesus Christ. So what does wisdom do in the house she has built? Verse 2, Proverbs 9. She has slaughtered her beasts. Now, this means she's preparing the meal. Normally, it is a male who slaughters the beasts in preparation for the dinner. But in this case, she referring to wisdom, remember, that's in the female she has slaughtered her beasts. It means she has prepared them for the meal. She has mixed her wine. Now, what does that mean? There are certain wines, when people drink them, that they do mix them with what? They mix them with spices. And so she is putting spices in her wine that make it taste a lot better. So she's not only got the meal ready, she not only has the wine prepared, it says she has also set her table. Now, what does that mean? Does it mean she sets up a table? Or does it mean something else? Well, actually, the original means that she sets the table up as it should be for the meal. The dishes, the various spices, the food, it's, it's all ready. In other words, she arranges what is on the table does that ring a bell? Is there another place in the Bible that talks about Jesus setting the table? Well, there is. And that is Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Let me read verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. So this is the same language used in Proverbs 9, verse 2, as it is in Psalm 23, verse 5. Jesus is the one who prepares the meal. Now, that has real significance for us today, especially in light of the fact she has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. What does that remind you of in the New Testament? It reminds you of Monday, Thursday, when Jesus inaugurated the Lord's Supper. He gave bread, he gave wine, and said, this is my body, this is my blood, 
for the forgiveness of your sins. So the Lord's Supper is not set by the pastor. No, it's set by God. And the pastor is used by Jesus Christ to speak the words of institution and to deliver the mixed wine and what is on the table, namely receiving his true body and blood. Now, who is called to invite people to this meal? Verse 3, she has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. Now, that's critical because it's also mentioned in chapter 8 that where does Jesus, where does his words come from? They don't come just from the church. They come from the gate of the city or the highest places of the town. In other words, she sends out her young women, which means she sends out the messengers that are talking about inviting people to this wonderful banquet that she has prepared. And of course, those messengers were none other than his disciples when he was here on earth. And they went in many a place. In fact, this Sunday's reading talks about Jesus sending out 72 disciples and he sends them to the places he is about to visit in order that they might prepare the people for his coming. So what does that mean? Well, they're actually John the baptizers. Remember, John the baptizer was sent to prepare people for the coming of the Savior. He was bringing with him the greatest gift that they would ever receive, and that would be the forgiveness of sins. And yet in that greatest gift, he was calling them to turn in to his wonderful banquet that he had made. This is very important to understand that we as Christians do not just invite other Christians, but we invite all kinds of people, all kinds of nations, for there's no distinction between Jew or Gentile, male or female, slave or free. They're all invited to come to the great banquet. And we prepare them for the coming of the banquet by means of what we refer to in the Lutheran church as adult instruction. We take them through Luther's small catechism to learn the true meaning of the commandments, the creed, the Lord's prayer, baptism, and finally preparation for the Lord's supper. Now, who is invited? to the adult instruction classes. People of great reason 
and wisdom? No. Verse 4. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. Now, the term, term simple in the Hebrew refers to the gullible or the fools in the world. Those who cannot understand the message of Christianity because from their point of view, it is against reason. It is against common sense. And there's no way that that message can become reasonable to an unbeliever. Because apart from the gift of the Holy Spirit and the faith given by the Holy Spirit, a person does not consider Christianity to be reasonable. I mean, try and explain the Trinity. And yet through faith, we believe what the Trinity proclaims. There's a Father, a Son, and a Holy Spirit. They are three persons, yet one God. We may not be able to explain that to the satisfaction of an unbeliever, but to those who receive faith, there is no problem in confessing, such as the Apostles' Creed that speaks of the work of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Not only those who are simple are to turn in here, but to him who lacks sense, what does she say to them? Come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Now, what she's talking about is an invitation that was repeated in verse 8 that has no cost. It's free. You are to come and eat of the bread, and drink of the wine I have mixed. Now, if that doesn't remind you of the Lord's Supper, I don't know what does. And if that doesn't, then listen to John chapter 6, verse 57 and following. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father. So whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. And Jesus was saying these things in the synagogue as he taught in the city of Capernaum. He is the bread of life. And unlike that bread that the Israelites received in the wilderness, manna, which simply means, what is it that fell every day except Saturdays until they reached the Canaan land? And then it ended because there was plenty of food 
in Canaan. In, in other words, Jesus is better than that manna that fell. Whoever eats of him will live forever. And therefore, verse 5 is talking about the Lord's Supper. Come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. It's free. Jesus has prepared it all. And therefore, when a pastor does the Lord's Supper, he's saying things that God wants him to say according to Scripture. Because once Scripture speaks, that settles it. Take eat, take drink for the forgiveness of your sins. A wonderful message from Proverbs chapter 9. And therefore, we're not talking about justification. Justification is how God declares you to be righteous in his sight after you have received faith in Jesus Christ. And that faith in Jesus Christ is truly the means by which you receive salvation. The foundation of salvation is, of course, the work of Jesus Christ, not your work at all. It was his incarnation, his crucifixion, his resurrection, and his ascension that was all done for you. From the time he died to pay for the sins you and I have done to the time that he is now risen into the heavens. And by that rising into the heavens, he has become your defense attorney. Your defense attorney uh, against the prosecutor, Satan, your enemy, who tries to prosecute you for your sins. But Jesus, before the Father, announces that your sins have been forgiven. And therefore, that means as a Christian, you are not held accountable for your sins. That is wonderful good news. So what happens after you have been justified, after you have received the righteousness of Christ? What has happened is that you have actually been restored back to the Garden of Eden, where Adam and Eve were sinless. They did no sin until they fell into sin. And then there was a separation from God. But prior to that time, they were righteous. And God, therefore, was reconciled to them as he is to you. You have nothing to fear because in being reconciled to God, he has 
become your friend, not your enemy. So what does that mean? Not in regard to justification, but in light of your other condition, which is called sanctification. Verse 6 talks about that. Leave your simple ways and live. That actually can be translated as a purpose clause. Namely, leave your simple ways so that you may live and then walk in the way of insight or understanding. You see, Jesus is kind of the Sherlock Holmes of your salvation. He is the one who gives you insight into your problems. He is the one who gives you understanding. And through faith in Jesus Christ, you now believe that all things will work out together for your good. Not because of anything that you have done, but because of everything that Jesus has done. He is your Redeemer. He is your Savior. And therefore, to leave your simple ways means that you will leave your folly and your gullible ideas about God and instead follow wisdom's revelation as found in Holy Scripture and particularly in this book of Proverbs. That's really what Proverbs 9, 1 to 6 is talking about on this poem about wisdom, who is none other than Jesus Christ himself. So through him, you are definitely saved. Tomorrow we'll continue to talk about the distinctions between law and gospel with Wes Reimnitz as we take a look at other items that are happening in the world to help you understand proper wisdom. Until then, I'm Tom Baker. God bless you. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your check out to Law & Gospel and mail to Law & Gospel P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri 63132 or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.